Alright, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and count us in. Let's get this good show on the road. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Charge Shot Gamescast. I'm your host Ben, aka the Marvelous Iggy, fresh off of the new monitor, and a whole fucking weird weekend on Twitch. Joining me is the Cat Dad, because I had nothing else clever this week. Uh, yeah, you said you were going to count us in, and then you just said hi, and I got really startled. <laughs> I never said I was counting in, I said let's do this. You said you were going to count us in. <laughs> Nope. Listen to the audio time. Let me know if I'm wrong. I will. I'll probably edit it in right here. <laughs> and joining That's us is our champion editor, Tyler. I ain't no champion, but I am the editor of uh, this little ragtag group. You are a champion because this 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 whole thing, this whole operation would fall apart if you weren't here. Okay. We are the Charge Shot Gamescast. We are a Gamescast. We are a bunch of... We're, three, we're four four dudes. Are we four? Yes. No, we're three. We're three dudes who... I can't I mean, count. you have multiple okay. personalities, so... Yeah. We are We are a podcast. We talk about the games we've been playing, the news we've been reading. And I know... This is going to be a week of indies, I feel like. I feel, considering what I've played, what Tyler has played, what you have played. It's Indie Week. Uh no name. Please... Yes, man. Yes, Cat Dad. You do have a name. What are your thoughts on Axiom Verge now that you have beaten it five times already? Right? I haven't, actually. Wow. Um, I was just playing it before. What a fake fan you are. I'm, like, probably halfway. Okay. Um, so it's, it's half times. Like, it's... Just to jump right into it, it's very nonlinear. But also very linear, if that makes sense. Like, oh, a Metroid game that's not linear? What a surprise. Well, okay, fine. I knew you were going to get on me for that. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because, like, you have a kind of a little pinpoint on the screen. Like, there's there's more, like, dialogue and, like, storytelling in here. It's not so much just, like, you know, atmospheric stuff. You actually find other survivors and talk to them and stuff. And so at certain points, it'll tell you, like, oh, I think whatever you're trying to find next is at, like, these coordinates. And it, like, puts a ping on your map. Um, but this isn't, like, the kind of thing where you, like, go to map rooms and it, you know, puts the map on your screen or whatever. It's, it really is more just, like, an open, uh, like, an open wilderness landscape. So the map itself kind of looks like a square by the end. Because you fill in every single spot along the way. Um, so giving you a pinpoint doesn't really help except to know kind of like what general, general cardinal direction you're headed. Mm. Um, and some of the abilities like aren't totally clear. Because it's such open spaces, like the way you get around is is kind of tricky. Like it seems like you might be you should be able to make a jump, but it's like just out of reach. And you get a lot of, like, a lot of your abilities are, like, mobility-related this time instead of, like, weapons. So, like, you know, you might get the ability to um, grab ledges or, like, climb, uh, like, vertical walls. But only some vertical walls. It's, like, it's... Sometimes it just doesn't let you do it. And it doesn't seem like there's, like, a landscape... It's not, like, a, you know, mossy area or something. It's just, like, that wall can't be climbed. Um... And, like, your little robot friend also gets various upgrades, and uh, a lot of that is mobility-related, like a, like kind of a, almost a flutter jump, um, 
where it can kind of glide over spaces. Um, so kind of the two combined, it's like your main person can kind of go more vertical spaces and your robot person can go more like horizontal spaces. And you have to figure out like which one you need to be at various points. Um, but it just means like a lot of navigating these wide open spaces to find like the one square that like you have to wrap around to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you might have to just come at that same room from a different entrance uh, even though, like, you know what you need is on that specific square, or rectangle in this case. They're all rectangles. Interesting. Um, so, like, the the map kind of reminds me more of, and, and again, it's it's very, like, square. But the map, like, the way it is laid out reminds me of, like, Ori in the Blind Forest, where you're seeing, like, the landscape in the, the, the blocks, um rather than just like a you know generic like flat map um and i'm struggling a little bit with just like getting around like i just got the ability to basically uh quick travel between save points although i haven't actually i don't actually know like what button you hit to do that i keep forgetting i can do it um but i'm i'm still struggling a little bit with just like how to get to where i need to go uh, so it's taking me a lot longer to do everything, um, because I mean it's it's very well laid out, but it's just like the way that seems obvious isn't, and a lot of like a lot of it wraps back around because like I said it is just kind of like a like a you know almost link to the past style grid, uh, so you might see a door, and you're like oh okay that that's an area I haven't been to yet I I must need to go there. And then you get there and like your progress was stopped because there was just like a like a hackable door or something, but the entrance is on the other side. So you have to, you know, backtrack through it rather than get to the next area through that door. Um and that kind of stuff gets very tedious. Because like it's it's nice when you get to backtrack through it. Um because it, you know, connects back all the, the past areas you've been to as far as like finding like other you know power-ups and things like that um that you can access now that you have more abilities but just finding the path forward is very obtuse um and i'm a little bit stuck right now but i mean that was somewhat true of the first game too it's just i felt like that was a more traditional metroid map with kind of like you know hallways and corridors rather than these, like, wide-open spaces that you just kind of have to, like, platform hop up and around. Um, I said before, like, this one kind of takes more of the Vania side of the Metroidvania, um, with its, like, level layout and more melee-focused combat. And I'm still into it, but it's it's not quite scratching that same itch that I thought it would based on the first game. Um, I hesitate to say too much about it because it did just kind of get shadow-dropped, and I don't want to, like, spoil anything. But I will say the best part of this game is your little robot friend. Uh, whereas I felt like in the first game, the spider thing was neat, but it was more just like a like a puzzle mechanic to, you know, basically the morph ball. Um, and later in the game, you got the ability to, like, switch places with it, which was pretty cool. Uh, but in this one, like... 
pretty much the entire game is built around the abilities your spider friend gets. It's like they knew that that was a cool mechanic, and so they've just really buffed up the ability tree for that part of it. So it's almost like you're getting power-ups for two separate characters throughout the game, which is really cool. Because um, it has, like, its own variety of, of attacks. Um, like I said, it has its own mobility options. Like, you spend large parts of the game as this little spider guy. Uh, spider guy? Spider guy. <laughs> and the probably the coolest part is how you use him to... Um, kind of like route into new areas uh, because instead of like being able to swap places with him um, you actually like you travel kind of between dimensions I guess you'd say and have to kind of move the spider guy around to open up a lock that the human character can you know go through to meet back up with the spider so what uh, you're so saying it basically is this is into the spider guy verse yeah yeah your 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 spider guy uh travels different dimensions um and meets up with Nicolas cage nice uh yeah it's pretty cool a bold cameo choice i gotta say um that dude appears in everything right but it's it's really good um i don't quite know what's going on with the story yet uh i'm very intrigued with how like it's a prequel to the first game Oh. Yeah. And so, like, nothing so far has, like, obviously tied into that. But I, I can definitely see where they're, like, laying some groundwork to explain the first game in really cool ways. Um, But, like, just like that one, a lot of the uh, lore and stuff is from, like, collectible books you find throughout. So, like, you don't have to get most of the story if you don't care. Um, and what I've mostly been doing is picking them up and then, like, just scrolling through, like, not actually reading them. Because I kind of want to get everything and then, like, read a, kind of a completed log of what's going on. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. Kind of the, the main, like, plot, like I said, there's a lot more people. The main plot deals with, like, this, um, this kind of research assistant. Like, not even, like, any kind of, you know, adventurer, hero type character. Just, like... A, a scientific research team um, gets somehow stranded and she has to like try to find her research team and figure out like where they are um, because it looks normal but like it's clearly not Earth and there's a lot of robots and stuff um, so yeah I find this story actually a lot more engaging than the first game uh, I think just because it's like it's told more um, uh, overtly, it's 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 not as subtle. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it feels like it's trickling trickling out information at a better pace. You could go hours in the first game without having any dialogue. Yeah, the first the and set, I kind the, of like the Metroid Fusion style, you know. Yeah, that this game does first game was more like i would say more about him just trying to get out of there and survive and then uncovering like okay hold on something's going on here as you go right. further along and there were, i mean there were some powerful parts in that game like when it's like kind of on the um like the psychosis trip yeah that was crazy. randomly in that one area like those parts i think hit harder because 
Um, the rest of the game is fairly story light. So like when crazy things happen, you're like, oh, all right. Whereas this game, it's kind of like, like I said, the whole kind of main arc is like looking for people and talking to them. Um, but like, I think that helps to unfold the mystery as you go through like, you know, do you know where we came from? Like where, you know, where did you come from? Like, how did you get here? How do we get back home? Like that kind of thing. Um, with still some crazy twists and turns. Uh, there's definitely one thing I don't want to spoil, um, but I'm surprised at how long this twist has stuck. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. And I like the way they integrate the power-ups more into the story. Um, it's like you, you basically get these arms that are like human consciousness in the like kind of electrical form that... Um, bond themselves to your body and give you like access to like kind of their essence in the Dr. form Optimus. of a new ability. Um they're like JoJo's dance, if as far as I understand <gasps> that to be. Okay. Justin making a JoJo's reference. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's supposed to be the I mean, of an enemy stand. <laughs> I've never seen it. I'm just that's that's the concept I understand it as. I think that's right. It sounds um, right. But yeah, they're really neat. And yeah, um, like I said, I, I can't really say more without spoiling it, so I'll stop there. But it's a very cool game. It's just, it's a bit of a bummer that they just kind of shadow dropped it because I feel like it was getting really built up and then, you know, obviously delayed. And so, like, everyone was waiting impatiently for it. Like, I get wanting to just put it out, but the fact that it didn't really get a lot of build up and it's just like available later today means that I, I, feel like some people don't know it's out because it hasn't gotten a lot of like discussion or anything yet as far as i've seen um, let's see i mean like if, if you go to the i guarantee it's one of those games where like you go to the e-shop or you go to steam pages or any it'll it'll be promoted it's, it's yeah it's it's a it's a it's not like uh some of the other games that got, that got shadow dropped that day this is a game that people have that the publishers know that people are looking forward to. They'll it'll say like come feature featured releases on the Nintendo Switch, come uh, featured uh, available now. Axiom Verge two and like oh shit, it's out now and it's on sale for ten percent. Yeah, that was cool. Um, but I I feel like the first one probably did like pick up through word of mouth, so maybe it's going to be a similar situation. Yeah, I don't know. But aside from that, um. I I did because I wasn't here last week. Um I did check out the uh Fortnite Ariana Grande concert. And ah, it was actually really cool. That's why he wasn't here. He was hung over from the party from the after party. That was Sunday morning. <laughs> you were you had a long hung hangover, dude. That's I guess. Okay. Anyway, really take it out of you. The the concert itself was just meh. It was like it was basically like the first minute of multiple songs like on shuffle <laughs> oh. is kind of how they played it off but like each one was like a set piece which was really cool so it started with kind of like a pre-show um well the, i guess it started with the waiting room technically where everyone was on this like circular dirigible um like you you could just kind of you know float around there were things to interact with you could like get your name like you could get your your avatar up like on a big screen like it was just it was kind of silly i mostly just 
left it sit there and did other things um, while it was queuing down the time. But anyway, it goes into this, like, little intro bit with, um, with like, a on-rails shoot-em-up game thing where there's, like, I think three or four other people, like, on your uh, ship or whatever with you. And you're all, like, kind of aiming and shooting at targets or whatever for points. Um, I got first, not to brag. I think it just, like, gives you extra experience points, depending on on your ranking. But it was just kind of a fun little thing. And there was, like, kind of a, um, like, a pre-concert there that was, I don't, I don't actually know. I didn't, I didn't recognize who it was, but, uh, then, uh, Ariana Grande came out, you know, in, in virtual form, um, and you're just like out in this weird field and there's like these bouncy like bubble things and it's like super trippy like a like a magic mushrooms thing um and she's singing and like floating through there and you're just kind of bouncing and following and like a a lot of this stuff was like barely playable like it was just kind of you know you're you're following along with everyone else bouncing around and having fun while music is happening around you but it was interesting visuals and like at least it was interactive you know um, they did a good job of kind of like, you know, creating visually interesting landscapes to just run around and do nothing in while music is playing. Um, and then a few more songs, a few more trippy landscapes, nothing terribly interesting, but it ends with, uh, a, <laughs> like a flying section through these, uh, rings that give you experience points. And you are flying on a little chubby uh, unicorn that, like, basically has a rainbow trail, like a speed trail behind it. And you can just do that f- for a long time, it seems like. Because it, 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 like, it drops you basically in a normal Fortnite map, um, except you're, like, up out of, um, like, up in the clouds or whatever. And there's, like, the rings around and everything. Um but it was still, like, counting down people. So it kept saying, like, you know, Survivor 2, like, 50 people left. And then, like, Survivor 1, 25 people left. Like, um... So I just stayed. I was like, I wonder if I can get a Victory Royale in this after concert. <laughs> so I was just floating around on my on my unicorn, going through all the rings. And then I finished all the rings and was just kind of, like, flying as long as it would let me. And eventually it just timed out and said that the session was no longer available. So I guess you can't just get a victory royale during the concert but i was curious uh but yeah it was it was neat like it was pretty quick uh the way i got there like 20 25 minutes early um so it was like 7 30 something like that i don't know um and the whole thing whole thing was over at like 8 30 like it was not very long um and that's including, like, my flying around on the unicorn. <laughs> Which, I wish that was a pet. I guess that, like, they're adding Superman now. And I guess he has, like, a special quest that's, like, flying through rings up above the sky. Oh, that's, like, no. an homage to Superman 64. So they basically, they rebuilt Superman 64 inside Fortnite, which is kind of great. Um, it's kind of funny, actually. Yeah. So I kind of want to check that out. But, like, flying, flying through the rings on the unicorn was actually really fun. <laughs> I want that to be its own thing. Like, have, like, unicorn races or something. Um, but yeah, pretty much the only other thing is, 
I mean, I will say me and Ben finished Resident Evil 5 and started Resident Evil 6. The end of Resident Evil 5 is stupid. It is. So many unnecessary awesome. quick time events. I punched a boulder. You know, did did the whole Chris thing. Assert your dominance. Punch boulders. <laughs> yeah. I, I knifed a rocket. <laughs> yes. In the yes, Ben knifed a rocket. I knifed, I knifed a rocket. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? I don't know. I thought that's what I had to do. Yeah, that whole that whole final last gear stuff. It was worked, terrible, didn't it? Though. It worked. I mean, technically, it did detonate the rocket. That's what yeah. you mean. Yeah, it worked. But it was it was fine. Um, I'm actually kind of liking Resident Evil Six so far. Like, it plays really well. This is coming from the man who wow. wouldn't stop complaining to me. Like, I don't want to play no. this game. I don't want to play this game. Why? Why are we playing this game? And I to be my, clear, I went, on, I went on record saying we didn't have to play Resident Evil Six. We could have just stopped at five. This man wanted to play Resident Evil Six. I just picked it. Is a difference. I just want to put it on the record that Ben apparently didn't want to do anything else with me. So I thought you wanted um, to do something else with Fugama. I didn't want to hog you. I don't want to be. I don't want to be like possessive. I could be possessive. Do you want me to be possessive? I'd be super possessive. <laughs> no, we're, we're doing something after RE6. It's fine. Okay, um, best friends. I'm gonna stab you the knife repeatedly. <laughs> anyway, I don't mean that I like the game. I mean I like the way the game plays. Like the fact that you can actually aim while running, and you can do your um, like your context sensitive like roundhouse kick and stuff at any time. Like it just it's a button prompt regardless of what state the zombie is in, rather than like having to. Like, shoot them in the knee multiple times so they, like, fall over and then you can do it. Like, it, um, it's a lot easier, yeah, because they throw a lot more zombies at you. So, like, you have to, you know, have more utility. Uh, but it just, it clears out a lot of the control complaints I had about RE5. Uh, plus the inventory seems just stupid. Like, I'm pretty sure there's no limit on it. <laughs> um, but the game is still dumb. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying, like, coming straight from RE5, like, the quality of life improvements are nice. Yeah. It's almost as though mechanically there's nothing wrong with the game. It's just everything around it. It's bloated, and it's just not a good Resident Evil game, but it's a fun action game to play with your friend. Um, yeah, exactly. So, And I'm, so I'm sure that's what it'll be. But we're still pretty early. Um, anyway, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, I have been... I, I got a DS emulator on my phone. Um, because it's kind of convenient, like the dual screen with the, you know, with the S Pen on my phone, just like using that on the touchscreen um, for games like uh, Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass that is pretty much touchscreen only. Um, it works perfectly to just like pull up on my phone whenever I want. That's cool. And uh, I hate this game. Like, <laughs> I have never beaten either of the DS Zelda games. Um, I remember liking Spirit Tracks when I got close to the end, but I was emulating it, like, back then on, like, a um, like a flash cart, and it got corrupted or something like that, and my save file was gone, so I just quit. Um, I was, like, at one of the final dungeons, and I didn't really want to go through the whole game again. Um, but Phantom Hourglass I actually owned, like, my freshman year of college or something like that when it came out, because I'm old. And... Um... I'm surprised at how much of it I remember. Like, I didn't realize how far I got in the game. But it is just... It is not fun to control. Like, it doesn't play to the strengths of being touchscreen only. 
Uh, there's so many things where, like, you can only have one item equipped at a time because you have to touch the the circle on the thing you have equipped to, like, pull it out instead of your sword. So if it's, like, an aiming weapon, for example, you can't move around while you have it because you move by tapping on the screen and you aim by tapping on the screen. So, like, any boss fight, for example, that needs a weapon that requires aiming, you just have to stand still and let the boss hit you while you shoot it. Um, and it doesn't feel good. And there's, like, a lot of boss mechanics where, like, there's some kind of gimmick in there that you have to do, like, with very quick timing and swap back and forth between multiple items and that kind of thing. It doesn't feel good. Uh, because to switch items, you have to tap the items button and then tap the item you want to change to and then tap the circle at the top, at the other corner of the screen to equip said item and actually use it. And the game doesn't freeze while you're doing any of that. Um, so if you're trying to, like, quick switch items, pfft, you're just going to get hit. Uh, and in general, just, like, there's not a lot, like, the dungeons are okay. Like, none of them are terrible, but they're also pretty short. And don't have a lot of interesting puzzles in them or anything. And like I said, most of the boss fights are dumb and gimmicky. Um, exploring the sea is just boring. And again, the only thing, like, the only way to attack with, like, your bomb cannon or whatever is with the touchscreen. So, like, enemies will pop up and you have to, like, tap on them to shoot your cannon. But it's not super accurate. And then they they still have you, like, searching for sunken treasure, but whenever you salvage at the, at the X spot, it goes into this, like, underwater minigame where you have, like, kind of a slider bar across the bottom of the touchscreen um, that you use to slide the, the crane from left to right. Um, and then you can, like, kind of switch it up or down to like speed it up or slow it down but it's super finicky and if you get hit like five times or whatever it breaks your arm and you have to go back to the starter island and pay a hundred rupees to fix it so like with how finicky the controls are there and how narrow some of these paths are you have to kind of swoop around so you don't like get hit by bombs or whatever it's just maddening, especially when you're, like, on the way back up with a treasure chest and, like, some stupid, like, just, you know, your finger slips or something off of the, off of the bar. Hmm? Butterfingers. Yeah. I mean, I stopped using the, the pen for those sections because, like, it was even more imprecise. So I just, like, had my chunky thumb over the, over the switch and was kind of, like, holding it in place. And that helped. But you'd think, you know, the precision stylus would be more accurate than your finger, but no. Yeah, so that makes sense. You're using an emulator to play it. No, it's it's great, actually. Like, there's no issues with the emulator. Um, it, it can even, like, there's all kinds I, of... I'm, know, I'm just saying, I played this game on DS, and I don't have recall any having these kind of problems. I'm just, I'm just, just putting that out there. Just putting it out there. Hmm. But that's Not playing it on hardware it was originally intended for. Nothing that, that you can't do that, but let's just say. 
there's there's one annoying thing and i don't fault the emulator for it it's just like the button placement on the screen to try to like you know keep it out of the way um everything is towards the edges and as soon as you leave like there's a there's a little bit of like black space underneath the the screens just because of like the size of them and how tall my phone is and if the stylus goes like off the you know the actual window screen by a a smidge it doesn't register anything um so there are a few moments when like i'm trying to do the salvage thing and it's like you know the bar is across the bottom of the screen so i slide off and it like stops registering my inputs because i I don't have anything like on the actual like touchscreen window anymore um but that's the only thing that's like an emulation type thing because on the ds like the screen is recessed so your stylus stops at the edges of the screen. Whereas this just stops registering. Um, but anyway, I don't like it. And I, I remember not liking it as much as spirit tracks, like even back then. Um, I just, I think spirit, like it, it's the same basic structure with like everything, but touchscreen and stuff. But I feel like spirit tracks plays a little bit stronger to like the strengths of the touchscreen format. Um, whereas Phantom Hourglass kind of is just like, hey, here's a Zelda game that you can only use with touch. And they throw in a bunch of dumb gimmicky things that don't really work with the touchscreen elements. Um, but what else was I going to say about it? Um, oh, also the Temple of the Ocean King is terrible. Oh, like the fact that the Zelda game is bad. What are the odds? Yeah, it's... In Spirit Tracks, like, you don't have to redo the parts. You still have to go back to a dungeon multiple times, but it basically starts you at the next chunk automatically. So you're doing one dungeon throughout the game, but you're doing each part of it throughout the game. Whereas Phantom Hourglass basically has you going back through the same rooms you already did, but they're just a little easier to get through now because you have another item that can, like, cheese past a part of it. And you're being timed the whole time. Um, and I hate it. Like, I I just did two dungeons in a row without having to go back there, and I was like, maybe this isn't so bad. And then I quit when I realized I had to go back there this time. Are you gonna keep playing it? Yeah. No. Why? Like, why? Just, just, dude. You can. You. It's okay. You can stop. You don't have to play the bad video game that you don't like. You can play the DS has like thousands of games that you can load up on that emulator. But I'm gonna keep playing Sonic this Rush. Zelda game that You'd I like that one. don't don't like. No, Sonic Rush can't work because it needs a dual screen. I can't do that on the phone. Huh. I mean, I can't. The problem, like, okay, the way I have it set up, like, if it's just touchscreen controls, I can just play it on my phone, like you know, vertical, because all I need is the bottom screen for touch. So, like, I can have it top and bottom. I don't have to have my controller attached or anything. But once I need buttons, it's a lot... Like, I don't like the virtual button setup. Um, So then I have to plug my controller in. And then, yeah, the, like, things that span both screens look really awkward because they're side by side when it's, you know, flipped on in landscape. Um, Yeah, for Sonic Rush specifically, you definitely need the buttons for, like, the main game. Uh, Yeah. It's only touch uh, controls for the special stages. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have Sonic Colors, and I tried it, like, you know, side to side, and I was like, this is... Oh, there's things on the top screen! Yep, <laughs> like, that's I had no idea. Rush games. Yeah. 
is is kind of goofy. But it's fine for things like you know Metroid Prime Hunters, for example, where the bottom screen is just like the radar. So like the cutscenes are a little weird, um, but I don't. I mean, they're not that great anyway. I don't I don't care. Uh, but like actually playing the game is fine when they're side by side because it's not like splitting the view or anything like that. Um, but yeah, the emulator is actually really cool because it, it allows all of the weird quirks of the DS. Like there's a button in the menu that, that it just says close DS for that stuff where you have to like, you know, put the screens together and then open it back up. Um, like there's actually a part in Phantom Hourglass where there's like a symbol on the top screen that you have to like transfer to the bottom screen. So you have to close it and then open it back up. Um, and you can, there's, there's a, uh, like a special button you can hit that mimics the microphone. Um, so if it needs you to like yell or like, you know, blow out a candle or something, you can hit that and it'll, it'll activate the microphone for you. Um, things like, so it's, it's, it perfectly simulates the DS. It's just awkward to control a touchscreen only game on a phone. Yeah. You're, you're playing a mediocre Zelda game. Yeah. But the reason I want to finish it is because I never have. And I want to play through this one and then play all the way through Spirit Tracks. Because, again, I haven't beaten that one. And I want to. Um, and then the only... I mean, technically, the only Zelda games I will have not beaten are Zelda 2, which I will never beat. And Twilight Princess. Which I plan to eventually, but I keep not doing it. I'd rather play Zelda 2 than, than Phantom Hourglass. Just, just saying. Bold words. I don't know. I'm actually enjoying some elements of Phantom Hourglass. I just don't like most of it. Didn't Whereas Zelda like 2 it. is just <laughs> awful. Zelda 2 has its merits too. It's just it's it's a it's an older game. And this is coming from somebody who hates the NES. So yeah. take that for what it is. I mean, I just did the Ice Temple, like where you get the grappling hook. And it actually has some really clever uses for that thing. Okay. Cuz you can like create a kind of a uh, tether what is that called the tightrope or you can like tether it between two things and like use it as kind of a like a bungee to get you know a, a longer jump like there's some really clever stuff there you can hop on top of the peg to reach another grapple point like higher up than you um the the boss fight was bad like gliok or whatever because that's another one of those that where like you're trying to basically bounce it, it's a twin rova type thing. You're trying to bounce the elements at the other one. Um, but you have to like tether between two points as the the elemental ball is coming at you, but you can't move and it takes a few seconds to make that connection and yeah. Anyway. There's some cool items and some clever ideas. It's just mostly not well implemented. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe I'll like it more by the end. Probably not, though. I'll report back. <laughs> Tyler, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, basically, more of the same as I did last week. And uh, for those of you that did not tune in for the uh, audio-only episode of last week, uh, I'll it's, do a bit of a recap. That's me. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly right. doing it for Justin's sake. Uh, so, <laughs> I continued uh, with... Uh, the Greatest Attorney Chronicles, uh, which is still pretty fun, although I haven't played as much of it this week as I have uh, last week. But uh, 
just a, just a quick recap, Crush, Justin. Uh, you played Ace Attorney games, right? Uh, no. I've okay. played Professor Layton, not Ace Attorney. Interesting, because they actually did have a crossover with Ace Attorney on the 3DS. But, uh, I think mean, Justin would become infuriated if he tried to play an Ace Attorney game. Yeah, especially with the fucking op- updated autopsy reports of the first game. He not even that, just like, the, like how to find the advance the story. I think it would drive Justin insane, yeah. honestly. How to figure shit I, out. I am not a detective type person. <laughs> Neither am I, but uh, I'm actually getting through this one uh, with little issue. Um, hmm. You figure stuff out pretty easily in this game, um, even though it does seem a bit out there and far-fetched in places. Uh, and in Ace Attorney specifically, uh, some, of the, some of the answers are just fucking ridiculous. Like, in the first game, uh, there's a part where you have to, like, interrogate a parrot and probe information out of it. And you interrogate? Have to out... Yeah, interrogate. Thank you. I hate you both. God fucking damn it. <laughs> okay, come on, come on. Okay, so anyway, uh, the whole the whole plot of uh, The Greatest Attorney Chronicles is it takes place a hundred years before uh, the first few Ace Attorney games. And uh, the main character is... An ancestor of the main character, Phoenix Wright, or uh, Ryunosuke Naruhodo, as he is known in Japanese. Or, Ryunosuke is the ancestor. I forget what Phoenix Wright's Japanese name is. Um, but yeah, he's basically on his way to become a detective in the Victorian era. He, uh, he and his assistant uh, go to England and solve some uh, crimes using uh, the butt of the law. And... Uh, I got through uh, the third chapter so far, and uh, there's been a whole bunch of twists and turns, uh, but the case itself is inconclusive, because it does end on the not guilty verdict. I won't go into details as of why, but it feels empty, because the truth isn't reached, and that is a pivotal plot point. Uh, I began chapter four, and uh, it begins with a... Most of the trials in Ace Attorney are usually murder cases, right? In this one, it's an attempted murder case, so they're shaking things up a bit. So, you're tasked to pretty much defend this nervous-looking dude uh, who claims that he did not stab a lady out in the open. And uh, while you're, and you go around London uh, searching for evidence and interrogating uh, the passers-by and stuff. And just like in the second chapter, uh, you team up with the super chad detective himself, Sherlock Holmes, who brings a really interesting uh, new mechanic to this game. Uh, uh, that's not his name. Yeah, it is Sherlock for Holmes. legal purposes. It, for legal purposes, that is his name. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said I thought you said Sherlock Holmes. No, no. Yeah. Okay. You're fine. So yeah. Uh, just in case you didn't catch the previous episode, as I mentioned before, here's a quick rundown of uh, this new mechanic. Sholmes will go on an entertaining rant on how he on how he views specific events, but he usually messes up somewhere and the deduction goes completely off the rails. So to set it off tr- on track, you have to replace the incorrect keyword with a significant piece of evidence in the area or on someone's person. So, like, if he says the reason for this or that is because of uh, this pen that you're holding, you would have to change it to, like, something else that's in the vicinity. Like, uh, the reason for this and that is because of this other thing. And then 
the deduction uh, goes completely right there. And it is completely over-the-top and goofy because the entire sequence is shot in these uh, uh, moving camera angles with uh, Sholmes and uh, Ryunosuke magically snapping searchlights on into existence. It's great. Um, I, I love those parts of the game. It's probably the best part for me, aside from the actual courtroom stuff. But, uh, yeah, uh, I've been having a good time with that, but uh, the whole bulk that I've been playing this week is finishing up No More Heroes 2, Desperate Struggle. So, the whole gimmick of this game, uh, aside from the first game, is that instead of fighting uh, the t top 10 ranked assassins, um, it pits you against 51, but you don't actually fight against 51 uh, for comedic purposes. Like, last week I was talking about how uh, the uh, 40, 49th to 25th Assassins are all one boss fight. That's literally just a quarterback in his harem of cheerleaders turning into a giant robot, and you defeat them all at once. And yeah, that's not even the most ridiculous shit that happens in this game. So it's kind of like Scott Pilgrim, where you take down like multiple X's at once? Uh, the most that he took down was two of them, and they were twins. But, yeah, uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. They yeah, cheat I, the numbers like that. Yeah. I feel like in No More Heroes it's much more interesting in Scott Pilgrim, but that's just my preference. Anyway, uh, last time I defeated 23 out of 51, and the next battle promised Travis to be ranked 10 upon his victory. The battle is against Dr. Let's Shake, the robot from the first game that we never fought because Henry wrecked his shit hilariously enough. You remember that uh, scene, right, Ben? Uh, with the robot that took forever to power up in a boss what? fight that we never fought. What are you talking about? I never played the second one. No, in the first game, uh, there was uh, the number fifth guy was a dude called Let's Shake. And uh, he was powering up his robot for an insanely long amount of time. And there's not even a boss fight. He just gets destroyed in a cutscene. Yeah, I don't even remember that. When I played that game, it was in January, and then the winter storm happened. Everything didn't happen anything before that, so no, I don't remember, unfortunately. So yeah, point is, uh, you fight him here. And uh, yeah, this boss fight is... It's another keep away uh, type, of, type of deal. Kind of like uh, Nathan Copeland from the 51st fight. He basically has like an earthquake attack, where he counts it down uh, slowly or quickly, depending on his cycle. And if you don't go in the right spot on time, you're going to take huge damage from this earthquake attack. And uh, you have to get in close uh, right before he does this attack. And uh, once he uh, goes into a cycle in his uh, next pattern, this big robot just cycles all over the map really quickly. Just runs away like a bitch. It's annoying. Uh, but yeah, that's... It's been like a recurring thing that's been happening a lot with boss fights in this game, and I'm honestly not a huge fan of keep-away fights, honestly. So yeah, uh, you defeat him, and uh, after the battle, Travis is greeted by another familiar face that you might uh, you might recognize. Shinobu Jacobs, a.k.a. number 8 of the last game, and one of the harder bosses, I might add. She has a redesign in this game, and it's super cool, trading her white school uniform for a black Lolita samurai garb. Uh, she recounts to Travis that she already helped him climb higher up the ranks thanks to Sylvia's intervention, 
and we're treated to a flashback sequence where you play as Shinobu for two ranked battles. So, yeah. Um, you actually play as Shinobu in this game, and I want to like her playstyle, but she feels a bit off compared to Travis mechanically. She uses her katana like the beam sword and performs finishing moves like before, but that's kind of where the similarities end. Instead of punches and kicks, pressing A or B makes you jump, and you can jump slash or perform a dive attack. Holding either of the attack buttons and letting go does her projectile slash, and it's pretty useful against those gunslinging dudes and bigger mooks. Because jumping is a really new gimmick for her in this game, there are platforms and higher grounds that she can access. However, I find that landing on your mark in this game is really clumsy. Shinobu always front flips when she jumps, so when the animation finishes upon landing, there's a chance that she'll fall off the edge, and yeah. There are 9 times out of 10 where I feel like that I, uh, I landed on a platform, and she just falls off like a dunce. It's kind of annoying. So... And it also doesn't help that jumping forward makes you carry a bit of momentum, and you'll overshoot jumps more often than you should. Her first boss is against Paul Eiding with a gun, who rolls back and forth like it's Dark Souls or something. Then there's New Destroy Man, who was cut in half in the first game, but the two halves each got robotic halves and becomes a double-pronged boss fight. The first Destroy Man fights like he did before, with easily telegraphed attacks like the Fireballs and the Dick Laser. The second one fights like a chode. He flies around the arena and tries to zone you out. Also, if you knock out the first one, the second one can revive him if you don't intervene. It's a little annoying, but Shinobu is cool enough to take down two Destroy Men, and she's clever enough to not fall for the Destroy Spark handshake that Travis fell for in the first game. Did, did you say Dick Laser? Yeah, he has a Dick Laser. Like, literal? Yeah. That's no more, dude, it's No More Heroes. What do you expect? All the bosses in No More Heroes are fucking ridiculous, as I'm, I've pretty much been explaining at this point. Flashback ends, and Shinobu uh-huh. gets the cold shoulder from Travis, who comments that he's like the pervy teacher in a porno, and she leaves dejective. And yeah, those are his words, not mine. The next rank fight really sucks. At least the first part does. It's a chicken fight on motorcycles, as you try to force Ryuji's bike off a cliff using the Schleppel Tiger. Going anywhere near the edge is a kill state, and this bastard always uses super frames right when he's near the cliff. Eventually, you push him over the edge, but the real fight starts here. This is probably the hardest fight so far, only because his super armor absorbs all your hits, and he summons an electric dragon to interrupt your combos. This took several tries to peg down, but I feel blue-balled at the end when Sylvius shoots the guy to death before Travis can deal the finishing blow in the cutscene. Afterwards, Henry has a nightmare where an anime robot girl has him trapped in his subconscious, and we play as him for one boss fight, and he's also kind of mechanically different from Travis, since he has a dash reminiscent of the trickster style from Devil May Cry 3. Not much to say about the anime girl aside from she shoots her giant rocket fists at you and occasionally slaps your shit. It is kind of funny. He wakes up from the nightmare while Travis is watching porn, and he leaves. Afterwards, he leaves him a phone message explaining that he killed the next three assassins off-screen as thanks for saving him. He even sends photos and explains that the developers didn't have time to put in three more boss fights. <laughs> so yeah, at this point, I've played with the cat consistently enough that she isn't overweight anymore, 
and your award is the new attack that lunges you forward while saying you're being katana. And it's pretty amazing for closing the distance between enemies. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, uh, No More Heroes 2 introduces a little mini-game where Travis touchdowns uh, Cat Jean. Uh, she gets overweight in between games, and uh, you pretty much have to feed her gourmet food and occasionally play with her to uh, reduce her weight. And the reward for that is pretty satisfying, as I found, and I will explain how that is later. Aw, good guy, Travis. Yeah. It's it's a shame that you weren't there for me to explain that because I knew for a fact you would like that little mini game. I mean, I've seen uh, he like plays uh, plays catch or something, right? He plays catch. Uh, he uh, lures he lures her with uh, the uh, dangle toy, uh, lifts her up uh, uh, repeatedly like he's doing squats. It's cute. It's a nice mm. little distraction, and it actually is beneficial. I saw in the uh, third one you can take pictures of Jane, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I can't wait to see uh, what type of crazy shit they'll do in that game. But, uh, yeah, number four is next. And after fighting a humongous swarm of mooks at a supermarket, you fight against Margaret Moonlight, a young lady with a dual sight that doubles as a sniper rifle. This fight is actually pretty fun, even if Hatfit is her zoning you out with sniper shots. But she isn't afraid to get close, thank God. The new lunging move is your best friend in this fight. Number three is a Russian spaceman that telekinetically throws rocks and shoots laser beams. And he also floats around, oddly enough. It's pretty. It's a pretty nothing fight, aside from the big fuck you laser that can instantly kill you if you're not prepared for it. Number two, named Alice, is the coolest newcomer in the game, and the best fight in the game, bar none. Her gimmick is using General Grievous' strategy of multiple arms and many beam savers. It's a really fun fight since most of the shit she does is similar to yours, so it serves as a good rival fight before the final showdown. But before that happens, Sylvia shows up at Travis's motel and holds up her end of the bargain earlier than promised. They rock each other's world so hard, the city shakes and the letters on the No More Heroes motel fall off. <laughs> the final stage is in the Pizza Bat headquarters, where it just looks like a big-ass shopping mall. I miss malls. They throw, they throw waves of every single enemy type in the game at you, but it's nothing you can't handle if you made it this far. The last guy is Jeremy Bat Jr., who explains the reason he killed Travis's buddy at the start of the game was part of his vengeance for the death of the previous managers of Pizza Butt that you killed during a side mission in the first game. So yeah, it, that's kind of out of nowhere, I guess. And if you didn't play those missions in the first game uh, and get to this game, it's like, what? What the fuck? Uh, but anyway... Uh, and to get to him even more, he shows the decapitated heads of Shinobu, Henry, and Sylvia on silver platters. Travis is naturally pissed off, and the fight begins proper. He flies around in a hover car and makes lasers shoot all over the room or at your position. You have to have the ladder hit Bat and make him drop to the ground so you can wail on him. Unfortunately, he takes an ungodly amount of punishment, and after four minutes of repeating the cycle and getting his health down to the last third, I realized that it wasn't draining at all. It's kind of like the gate fight in uh, Mega Man X6, uh, and it has the trappings of that fight as well. Um, after a bit of research, I found that you're supposed to attack and reflect his unblockable charging move he uses to move to the opposite corner of the arena. This is the only time you can do this for attacks like this. And if the game had taught me anything up to this point, 
it's that you can't counter unblockable moves, but you have to do it in order to progress in this. So yeah, that was stupid. Uh, so after that nonsense, Henry shows up, not dead, and says that the heads are just replicas, leading the Travis to comment how dumb he is. You then knock Bat off his dumb car, and he injects himself with Bane Venom, I guess. Now he's Pizza Batman, and unlike the first phase, which was easy as sin, this second phase is ruthless. He's got a bunch of unblockable attacks at his disposal. A three-hit punch combo, a big fuck-you punch, and his teleporting punches, which are incredibly annoying since the window to dodge after he teleports is extremely tiny. It also helped that you can't connect too many hits on this guy since he teleports away like a weenie after two hits. He also punches you out the window, which results in instant death. So yeah, that happened twice. That was bullshit. This took a few retries to get the pattern down, and a few instances of Travis catching a second wind after losing all my health. You can do that in this game, by the way. If you lose all your health, and if you mash the buttons uh, enough, uh, Travis will uh, pretty much just struggle to get on his feet, and you uh, regain a little bit of health, giving you a few second chances. So that he will cool. desperate struggle? Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, I beat him. Travis then does his Mike Hagar impression and drop kicks Bat out of the window. But he's not exactly through yet, as the final phase has you pitted against a Gina Pisa mascot float? Or is it a robot? I don't know what this thing is. Whatever it is, Henry wants nothing to do with this thing and leaves Travis to deal with it, since it looks incredibly embarrassing. This fight's not hard at all. Just dodge its arm swipes and laser beams and wail on its belly and nose. At the end, Travis comedically falls off the building and slices the thing in half. He seemingly falls to his doom, but is rescued by Sylvia riding on the Schleppel Tiger, and they ride off happily ever after. So, yeah. I did enjoy this game a bit, but I do have issues with it. Um, most of the bosses are keep away, which isn't exactly my cup of tea. My preference is up-close battles, and... Over half of the bosses in this game uh, pretty much want, run away from you, kind of like uh, Dr. Peace or, uh, or Holly Summers. But unlike those fights, uh, they use more cowardly tactics, kind of like assassins. But I don't know. It, it just feels like that most of the fights in this game aren't that fun compared to the first game. Uh, the story writing isn't as strong as the first one, I feel. Uh, the first one is pretty much a direct satire to all of the game cliches and movie stuff that you see way too often. Uh, but there are instances in this game where they play a bunch of jokes completely straight. Like, Travis's sole motivation in this game is to avenge the death of this nothing character that we barely know anything about. And it could have been played for laughs, but they don't go that route, and it just feels strange with them still sticking to their guns with the whole breaking the fourth wall type dialogue and humor. It just feels inconsistent. Uh, so yeah, uh, music's great, uh, I love the soundtrack, the graphical style is a bit better, though it does have that distinctive jank at points, and, uh, fighting dudes does feel fun, aside from, uh, the keep away bosses that I complained about way too much. 
I enjoyed my time in No More Heroes 2, but not all of it compared to the first one. I'm not sure if Travis Strikes Again counts towards the, this little mini perspective I've been doing, but aside from that, I am totally ready for No More Heroes 3. Here's hoping that Suda51's quirky writing is on point and the gameplay fun to warrant becoming one of my games of the year. So yeah, that's all I've been doing. Alright, I'll be quick since we're running along on time. Um, uh, I uh, There's uh, two games I kind of tried this week. Uh, mostly uh, one of them was Boyfriend Dungeon and we're going to talk about a little bit more in the new segment. Um, it was on Xbox Game Pass. It was also a Shadow Dropped along with Axiom Verge. And so far I really like it. It's a combination of uh, visual drama, visual drama, visual novel with dungeon crawler. And as somebody who isn't really an expert in visual uh, novels, uh, I really like that part. I think they do a great job of flexing out the characters. Um, each character that you can quote unquote date is a weapon. Uh, there's a shimitar. There's like a a, a like a cutlass, and then there's a knife that you can find. That's Valerie. There are there are female characters in this game that you can date. It's not just it's called boyfriend dungeon. But you can date. There are women, female characters, that, female weapons that you can date, um, and that's all really interesting. Um, it's it's really engaging. It's not you have a big overworld. Uh, basically, the consent is that you are moving to this small beach town in California, and you have to. Your mom basically wants you to find love and live life, and so you live with your. I think it's your cousin or relative, uh, Jesse, and he's kind of showing you around, kind of trying to get your libido going, and you and you act up to you how you act. Um, you can choose your pronouns, either they, them, she, her, he, him. It doesn't affect who you date. It's just, that's just you are. And customization is free. So if you want to be he, him, you can wear a dress. It doesn't really matter. It's it, it's what you want it to be. Um, and I, I find it really endearing so far. It's it, Music is good. The, the, the gameplay loop of basically meet a, meet a, meet a weapon, uh, go, go with them in the dungeon, um, or dungeon as they call it in the game, and then you basically progress down floors. I don't know. If, I don't think it's procedurally generated. But pretty much as you venture with a specific weapon, you can, uh, you'll can you increase their relationship points. The higher relationship points you have, you unlock more skills. So for instance, the first character, the first blade you meet, who's kind of like your, your trainer, uh, he gets a repost in his second when you level up when you level up the second time. Uh, the uh, the uh, Valerie, who's the not who's the knife. Uh, she can, she can, when she dodges, it causes enemies to be confused because they don't know where you're at. So it's really cool. It, it, it and, and every time you transition to a floor, um, you can change a weapon. So maybe like you maxed out a level for this weapon, for this knife, for this weapon, you can switch to another weapon because it doesn't ma- It doesn't allow you to change until you go on a date. And that's the other half of the factor. You basically could go on dates and you get to know them and you can, re- I think it's pretty creative and like how you want to react in the situation. It doesn't feel too limiting. Like, okay, I would say this. I wouldn't say this. Um, there are some things I don't want to talk about because we're going to talk about it in the new segment um, that I will get into then. But let's just say uh, I I'm I find it interesting it's in there, and I'm I'm kind of glad it's in there because it you know it like dating is not easy and it's sometimes it's terrifying and I think it's important for something like this to reflect that. Um, besides that, the only other game I really want to talk about this week is besides Sonic Mania, but you guys heard me cry about that three years ago, four years ago, so you don't need to hear me that again. Uh, is Blast Master Zero Three? I finally pushed more into it, and on the Blast Master side, it's pretty much the same game. You know, you're on the vehicle; nothing's really changed. Haven't gotten any new upgrades yet. But what they did change is when you're Jason himself inside those mini maps. Uh, in the previous game, you would basically have weapons that you can upgrade based on your strength level. 
uh, and every time you got hit, you basically lost a power. That's gone now, so you basically have five set weapons. One of them is actually a callback to Azure Striker Gunvolt, which is nice. Um, but they pretty much, you never lose them. What you lose is what they can do in power. So the whip instantly can, like, you'll have a whip, the spiral beam, or, like, I, I don't know, whatever the, I can't remember what the beam in Metroid is called with the with the rings. Um, spacer, I think? No, not spacer. Uh, wave beam. Uh, basically, you have the wave beam. And so, basically, the strength level goes up. So you want to keep your level up to keep that power up. But the weapons are still usable, um... That being said, uh, Jason has his counterattack back from the second game, and it's even better. I feel like they made it more lenient this time around. It's way easier to do it, and I think that's much more fun. That was one of the best parts of Blastmaster Zero Two, and they made it a lot easier this one. Jason also now has a dash, so his mobility feels a lot better. Uh, it's overall like an improved product, and the story itself, while not getting too much into it, it pretty much picks off right in the second in the second one where you and Sophia are descending on the planet where the ship was created. And now uh, everything's going to chaos. The mutants are kind of running over things. There's dimensional tears. And you're basically set loose on a planet that wants to capture you and kill you uh, for unknown reasons. You don't really know why. And um, Sophia is missing. Uh, she's not part of the crew right now. So it's up to you to find her. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, and considering I, I can't wait to see how Inti Creates kind of closes out this series that they've been doing since 2017. Um, I'm annoyed that myself that my 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 that I didn't play this you know when it came out. I bought it when it came out. I pre-ordered it because uh, it was like on sale. For, uh, so it was like eleven bucks versus fifteen dollars. So it's like I said, four bucks. Um, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend check out the first Blast versus Zero. Um, I guess since I think we're good. I think it went a little bit faster than I thought. Uh, I'll talk quickly about it because I have not talked about it at all um, on here. Uh, I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn for quite some time now. And now that I'm a good chunk of time in, I think I can kind of give my brief thoughts on it. Uh, I think, mechanically, this is the safest game I've ever played, and that's not an insult. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much everything you played in a game around this era. Crafting system, stealth sections, which I'll get into in a second. Um, you know, climb, climb the long necks. Like, it's very safe. And I think, initially, I was underwhelmed by that because I thought, well, this is, is, this, is this the gameplay loop? Um, but after I set that aside and I basically allowed myself to come in much to the world, once I, the story actually opened up and you go beyond the initial area, mother's, mother's hook or whatever, mother's, mother's cradle, and you start exploring the world and you see different creatures and you start finding like mysteries about the underground and the, and the basic of the past life. That's when this game became more interesting. The one thing I do not like about Horizon Zero Dawn though, is this super emphasis on stealth. And maybe that changes as you get stronger with Aloy. But I'm really bothered that this game really wants you to play stealthily with so many bushes in in the thing, and it's hard. And it, you're gonna if you if you want to play this game like like a Zelda game, you're gonna die. You're gonna die a lot, and I find that annoying. Considering the game just invites you to explore, um, I feel like 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 Breath of the Wild was kind of like that too. But you could get away with it because the, the starting area was very you know very friendly, and as you went out, then it got difficult. Here, I felt I found even enemies that I fought in this area were kind of difficult to deal with. Now I'm fighting giant birds. I'm fighting a fucking crocodile thing, which is hard to take down. Um, in this cauldron room I did, you had to fight this a saber tooth tiger variation of it and a crocodile version of it at the same oh, time. Oh no, it's immovable Gonzalez. No wait, that's the wrong game. And it can become very annoying. Um, so, but the shooting of the arrow feels great. I just wish it emphasized more the combat situations versus doing 
stealth sections. I feel like that's the biggest miss so far. But so I, at some points, I just say fuck it. I'm just gonna go in there and just yolo it. Um, very pretty though. I, like, yeah, I feel like sometimes you get punished for wanting to fight. Yeah, and I think that's and like and I feel like that's kind of misleading for what the kind of game it is. Um, mm-hmm. I will say like a creative use of making making a Ubisoft tower by having those majestic these long machine dinosaurs basically act like sonar dishes, which I think is really really cool. That like there's a lot of what hold what it's keeping me going back to this game is its lore and finding out what happens next and what is the underground, what is what is what happened, you know, especially it's concerned to Aloy. Um, so yeah, I'm really digging it so far. Uh, that's that's pretty much all I've played. Uh, we'll get into Boyfriend Dungeon more with the controversy in the news section, uh, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Alright, let's get right into the news, everybody. The, the news section of the charts of the Gamescast. And we're going to talk about a news portion that we missed from last week because of my inability to lead. Uh, and that... Xenoblade's uh, voice actress, uh, I believe it is Jenna Coleman, voice of mm-hmm. Melia. Uh, Who I did not know was in that game. That's neat. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, that's yeah, what she does. Like, like, she's awesome. the best character in the game, too, so... Debatable. Yeah. Um, in June of this year, a Xenoblade fan held a particular sort of interview with actress Jenna Coleman. Uh, Coleman, who's primarily known for her role as Clara Oswald on Tushin Tushin on Doctor Who. See, I don't even know she was on there. Um, and Jasmine yeah. Thomas in the soap opera Emmer, Emmerdale was also Amelia in the first Cinema Chronicles over a decade ago. Uh, and she appeared in a video chat with uh, YouTube channel's Dean, Din's Meteorite. Um, it only had 33 subscribers. Talk about that's kind of crazy that she would do that. Um, yeah. Talk that's about cool. several subjects, including her assignment on Xenoblade Chronicles and the recent expanded Switch Remaster Xenoblade Chronicles Limited Edition. Reminds you, they got her back for that. Um, amusing about her first role, um, Coleman said, God, when was that first game? 10 years ago, it was a long time. I, I did it pre-Doctor Who days, and when they did the second one, they asked me to come back, and I think they're going to do another. I think they're going to do another. Coleman, pause. Common knowledge? Don't know yet. I think they're going to do another. Not sure if I'm allowed to say that. Coleman's call has caused rumors uh, over the weekend of a New Zealand Chronicles current development, according to our sources here. We confirmed that to be the case. Moreover, the game is nearing its final stages of development, but its release date may be held back for any number of reasons. The third Xenoblade Chronicles game is in development and a model studio. Sequel to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, currently the best-selling video game in the series. The ending of the trilogy takes place in the far-flung future with a few returning characters who have long outlived their human counterparts from both Xenoblade Chronicles and Xenoblade Chronicles 2. This is why Coleman, who is playing, who plays Melia, would be aware of it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, she uh, she plays a high Entia, and they basically have life, long life spans. Um, yes. This is why Coleman, who plays Melia, would be aware of the third game as the character's returning. She's more likely to have recorded voice acting for it. According to our sources, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 uh, was set to be revealed earlier this year. It may still be announced before the end of the calendar year, but it's a difficult time with pandemic development and optimizing the game for the Switch. The game is aiming for more character models on screen at any at once than any previous title, uh, counting for both player characters and enemies. Uh, this shouldn't be a gum as a galloping shock as both Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition expanded co- content was vital. The future connected indicated Monosoft was looking forward to the future of the series. Um, if all goes well, the game should be released as the first half of next year, delayed from its original, uh, now unlikely winter 2021 target date. So, uh, there are some people who think that uh, Jenna Coleman may have been confusing herself with the fact that Future Connected was the actual game that she recorded for, but it, it, even if that wasn't the case, it does 
there are other hints from the composer, from Monolith Soft themselves, that yes, we are getting a third Xenoblade Chronicles uh, rumor game. And I don't, without getting into spoilers, I'll just say this. And some people like aren't Xenoblade Chronicles one and two are different games that take place in different universes. Yes, but they're still connected, so there is a way. They're both very connected by one single character, which I won't say who it is, because that spoils both the uh, twists for both games. Um, it would be interesting and also very depressing because if if say it's going to be Melia, assuming Pyra and Mithra the Blades who outlive their owners, um, and they're with new owners, you're pretty much going to have to deal with the fact that yeah, Shulk's dead, Ryan's dead, Rex is dead, um, all the characters that you meet are are dead. Um, and also, uh, there was DLC for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that had Shulk and Fiora come into the world of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and Elma from Xenoblade Chronicles X. So, when you factor in all these, all the previous three games together, um, uh, X, 1, and 2, the remake of 1, and 2, because the remake of 1 did change things for a character that made him more synonymous with elements from 2. Um, it all hints that Monolith Soft is building to something, and I'm super excited that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is going to come out very, very soon. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting prospect right there. This is pretty much the Japanese equivalent of assembling the Avengers. <laughs> you think we get an announcement at the Inevitable Direct next month? I hope so. I'm not holding my breath as, you know, I, I'm the kind of person who thinks direct, the directs just stop happening until they happen. So if we do, it'll be like the Zuma Chronicles event from 2019, where it was the last thing and y'all heard me screaming from all the way over here in Texas. So if we do, if, if the rumors are true and they want it to come out, if it's supposed to come out early half, first half of 2022, then yes, I fully expect to see some kind of teaser trailer for it. At, at, in the September Direct, if that is if that happens. Yeah, that'd be sick. There's been a September Direct every year for the past, like, 11 years or something, so it's probably happening. Also, but... also Stranger Time, so I'm just saying, I don't hold my breath, I don't like doing that, because in the time you do that is when it doesn't happen, and people get mad, so why worry about it? No, totally um, fair. So, alright, moving that's on. That's a complete slate. Moving on. Um... Shining Force is back! Uh, the first Shining Force game in 13 years is going to be mobile only. Uh, a new Shining Force game is due to be released this year, which will make it the first entry for the series in 13 years. The newest iteration in the series will be officially licensed mobile only game, as reported by Gamer.ne.jp. Um, the project is being developed by Hive, the Japanese branch of the South Korean smartphone game developer of Vespa. And the upcoming mobile game's title loosely translates to Shining Force, Heroes of Light and Darkness. The game will seemingly be free to play, supported by microtransactions, and although what form, they will come to know, they will come in its on its own. According to a statement from Hive, the company is bringing back the Shining Force series as a mobile the game. After it signed a license contract with Sega to develop a new game under the Shining Force IP. The game will release in Europe and the U.S. as well as a number of other countries across Asia when it launches in the first half of 2022. According to the report, the upcoming game will, will look to bring the series' unique worldview and storyline to players across the world as Hive hopes to impact, in part, the strategic fund of simulation RPG to mobile devices. Um, and there's a little bit more here. And then sort of talking about Shining Force's legacy. 
Uh, Shining Force made its debut as part of the sh- larger Shining series on the second Mega Drive since Genesis in March of 92. Following Shining Force 3 and Shining Force 2 in 93, series then continued to the second Saturn where it released Shining Force 3 in three volumes. Though Camelot Software only issued the first volume North American Europe, since then the Shining Force series the Shining series has returned to consoles a number of times. Notably, the Shining Force game was subsequently remade for the Game Boy Advance 2004 under the name Shining Force Resurrection of the Dark Dragon. So, Sega's had a lot of goodwill. Yakuza games are on fire. Sonic, Sonic, Panzer Chicken remake Street did well. Streets of Rage, I was getting that. Streets of Rage 4 did well. Uh, the Wonder Boy remakes have been doing relatively well. Alex Kidd just got a fucking remake. And then... I, I mean, Sonic like, granted, is also there. Who's there? <laughs> Sonic is also there. Sonic, hey, Sonic, hey, that new game. I, color, Colors Remastered looks great. Um, sure. And I'm sure, I'm sure that new game is going to be fun, too. I get it. It's all about who get, who gets there first, and maybe they just got there first with the money. It's just like, I just don't... Look, I know Justin has spoken the higher of merit of mobile games, for sure. It's just like, it's just when you wait, when people... And I'm not that big a Shining fan, but when you wait so long for a console primary-only series... For then now to switch to a mobile game, to a free-to-play mobile game, which means you're going to have to pay for shit whether you want to or not, or you'll feel obligated to, um, that's when it's like, it becomes all kinds of like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. They they did this recently with... Yeah, it's like if they did the Mr. X DLC, but they made it mobile-only microtransactions, it would be dumb and stupid and we wouldn't love it. They did this recently too with um, Breath of Fire. There was a, a first new game in a long time there that was like a mobile title that I don't think even came over here, um, and apparently wasn't that good. So like that, I there are great mobile games when they are built with mobile in mind. When you're just taking an established franchise and milking it in a free to play model, it rarely turns out good. Like Konami and their Pachinko games. Yeah. And that Castlevania mobile game, that was just okay. Oh, which is getting a release on Apple Arcade. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, it sucks, and I know uh, Friend of the Show TBG is, is a huge Shining Force fan. Again, we only got Shining Force 3, the first volume in North America. Uh, Shining Force 3 is considered uh, by many of one of the most amazing games on the Saturn, and we never got the second or third volume, so who knows? I don't know. Maybe Sega has bigger plans for the Shining series if they allow it to be licensed, or maybe they just didn't care enough. Like, here, you take it. We're not doing it with it. You do something with it. Make money. Just make us money. Give us profit. Whatever. All right. But uh, also, that Fire Emblem mobile game is pretty good. So maybe they could, you know, do something similar to that. Possibly, but that's like, I like the difference is that we've had Fire Emblem games come out since that's come out. So like. Fair. And they're still coming out while that's out. Right, yeah. versus Shining Force. Like, this is the first two time, and it's a mobile game, and it's like, yeah, you know. that that's I feel like that's the difference. Uh, but also, depending on who you talk to about Fire Emblem Heroes, they either hate it or love it. Mostly hate it, but then they show fantastic titty art, and then they go crazy for it, so what do you know? Yeah. All right, so let's move on, sticking with Sega, as we got some a update for Super Monkey Ball. This I think this was leaked a while ago, and this is just confirms it. But Sonic and Tails costumes... They call it costumes, but it feels like they're just in the game. Um, Sonic and Tails yeah. are going to be in Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. Ooh, that's cool. I this game looks so good. I have no interest in this game. I don't... I uh, don't understand the fascination with Super Monkey Ball. I don't get it. It's, it's, it it's looks, so fun. 
It look I it looks like something I would enjoy for five minutes and then just like okay I'm done. Well, it's not my fault you have a short attention span and I play RPGs, I do not have a short attention span. <laughs> if anything, I have a long and too long of attention span. No, so this is really cool because they did did beat from Jet Set Radio. I don't know if you'll talk about that. But um this is a similar thing where it is essentially like a skin. Like it's an unlockable character that's still in a ball and everything. Like, it doesn't function any differently than the other characters. That's why they call it a skin. But it changes, like, the things you collect in each level from bananas to rings. And that's great. It's those yeah, little cool. touches that it's, like, it's basically, like, a, you know, Sonic roll type game. So like, it's, it's almost as if they just put Sonic in the game. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so it's, like, it's. I just find the wording costume, it's, like, they, you just put him in the game. Like he's, it's, it's not like, it's not like, if it'd be different if like the monkey was just wearing like a Sonic hoodie, that's like, okay, yeah. like that's a costume. This is just Sonic and Tails in a ball. And they're doing the little animations too, which is, I find that's adorable, but I will not mm. buy this game just because Sonic, because if I want to play a Sonic, I already have Sonic mania. So, but Hey, super monkey ball fans, you guys are waiting for a long time for this game. So Oh, I'm excited for it. Because it's not just, like, all of the, the levels and stuff. It's having access to those multiplayer minigames again. Like, those were my jam on GameCube. They're so fun to play with your friends. Because they're a pretty easy pick up and play. Super Monkey Ball was your jam. That's so weird to me. It was. Those first three games, like Super Monkey Ball, Super Monkey Ball 2, and Super Monkey Ball Deluxe, were all fantastic. And then the series went downhill. Like, that's my Sega, like, that's my favorite Sega thing. Nice. What a, what a, what a strange, strange franchise to latch onto. I mean, it could be, it'd be worse. It could be Billy Hatcher, which isn't far from some Super Monkey Ball. Okay, to be um, fair, you're saying that as someone that doesn't know the games and doesn't want to play them. So I mean, I've seen, I've, like, I've seen them enough to know what kind of games they are. It's not, it's not like... This isn't a RPG or an action game where there's deep mechanics. It's what you see on the screen is what you get, which I can get why that's fun. It's a physics-based puzzle platformer. Like, okay, that's. I mean, there's some substance to that. Okay, I'll have to take your word for that. Yeah. All right. So next up, we got some Nerf news. Not none of that kind <laughs> of Nerf. Uh, Nerf Legends uh, is a is is a is a thing. Uh, is a sci-fi shooter full of loaded with classic dark guns. So this is a game. Uh, yep. Nerf Legends is described as a family-friendly FPS. Oh, I don't. I, I hate hearing the word family-friendly. Um, it's because there's no like bullets or anything. They I they're shooting it. like energy beams. I just I just I just. Dom Toretto would love this game because it's family-friendly. Yeah, and so is it. And so is the Tamar Toretto thinks like things of like Halo and Call of Duty. There's there's Fortnite. Fortnite doesn't whatever it, it it's just like it just feels like you're trying to fight against I don't know it's whatever. It features both single player and multiplayer modes with the campaign pitting you against evil robots using a whole arsenal of accurately depicted nerf bat blasters. Although these ones fire energy, not foam darts, and the PvP is supporting up to eight players. Setting across 19 sci-fi locations, the campaign will feature a variety of boss battles and challenges, along with the way you'll be able to acquire power-ups such as magnetic pull darts, push darts, secret darts, slow darts that will add variety to combat, uh, combat encounters. These are used in combat combination with an arsenal of 15 nerf blasters that have been pulled from Hasbro's Mega Ultra and Elite toy lines. Each blaster can be personalized with perks and skins. Your player is uh, character is also customizable. 
Um, so I have I have a I have an experience. Uh, there was a Nerf game on the PC in like the late '90s that was like a, a first-person shooter game that was like I think I don't remember too much of it, but I remember it, ha- it had power-ups. It sounds very similar to this game. It feels like this is a remake of that. It was very fun. Um, that being said, as somebody who works in the toy aisle, I don't want to touch this game because I fucking see Nerf every goddamn day. <laughs> I just think, like, the fact that it has a single-player campaign sounds pretty fun. I just but, find it disappointing that they're not foam darts. It would have been funny. Yeah. I mean, they're still shaped the same. It's just, like, energy pellets instead. Like, for the, you know, the sake of the concept. But I do wonder, like, how long until the the multiplayer modes get nerfed, you know? Get out. Just, just... Hunt. Han Solo should be in this game. That way you'll play as a scruffy-looking nerf herder. I hate you both. I hate you both. That's, that's, why, that's why I put this story in here. Okay. Alright. I see how it is. Let's, move, let's, just, let's just move on. Let's just... Uh, no, this is one of those things I hope oh, goes here, on Game Pass so I can try Here's how I can get back out. at Justin. What, we, we, hey, guys, we're getting that HD Trilogy remaster that we've always wanted. No, Justin, it's not <sighs> Metroid Prime Trilogy. The GTA Remaster Trilogy appears to be real and coming to the Switch. I'm going to laugh so hard if this rumor is true and we get this trilogy, Grand Theft Auto Trilogy, before Metroid Prime Trilogy. I'm going to laugh so hard. Uh, after months oh, of rumors shit. and spe- Here we go again. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> After months of rumors and speculation, Kotaku has learned that s- from sources that Rockstar Games may be remastering three classic Grand Theft Auto games. Currently, it appears that these games will release later this fall for a multiple platforms, including the Portal and Nintendo Switch. For the past year, rumors have swirled on Twitter, Reddit, and various mo- red boards that Rockstar is working on remasters or remasters of classic PS2-era Grand Theft Auto titles. Uh, these rumors only grew in popularity as Rockstar's parent company, Take-Two Interactive, Use DMCA takedowns to remove classic GTA mods. No, I don't want 5% cash back on Discover cards. From the internet, while announcing the publisher had three remastered games in development, while Kotaku can't confirm what those T's remastered titles are specifically are, we can confirm via corroborating details from the three sources that GTA remasters are currently in the final stages of development. Uh, according to these sources, Rockstar is actively developing remastered versions of Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which are considered the holy trinity of Grand Theft Auto. Um, yeah. At least, what, at least the series what made it popular. Um, all three of these games are being remastered using Unreal Engine and we mix up new and old graphics. One source who has claimed to have seen the snippet of the game in action said the visuals be reminded of the heavily modded version of a classic GTA title. The UI for the games are being updated too, but will remain the same the classic style. No details were shared about gameplay, but Kotaku has been told these remastered titles are trying to stay true to PS2 era GTA games as much as possible. Um, Alright. So basically high? they're straight up saying like this is the same as if you just mod the PC versions. Pretty much, but not every <laughs> but portable on your Nintendo Switch and on your console. Because true, it is cool to have all these titles on Nintendo for the first time ever. Because yeah. the only yeah. other GTA games that have ever been on Nintendo cons, well, Nintendo devices are GTA Advance. It's the same thing. GTA Advance and uh, uh, GTA Chinatown Wars on the DS. Yeah. Oh my god! Do you know that was the thing? Uh, I would. Yeah, it's I, actually it's actually really good. They ported it to PSP. But I like it better on DS because it had some cool like uh, touchscreen mini games. Mm. You're basically say, a drug runner. 
As this this, this is the trilogy that, that made, like I said, this is the trilogy that made uh, Grand Theft Auto it, it, the monster that it is. I mean, yeah. four probably more so, but I uh, like. No, four was of, trash. Well, I remember a lot of talk garnered around four. Um, Fair. No, so, but like, I got. I, I Nico Cousin! I had rem- hours of memories I of. I want to play of, bowling, so, Specifically, Vice City. <laughs> Um, and San, San Andreas had like the thing that's gonna be a problem though, and this is our problem because we're Twitch streamers, is the fact that they're not gonna, they cannot bring the license fees back. They can't, and you're not gonna be able to stream these. If they do bring the license fees back, you cannot play these games on stream with that music because you're gonna get hit with DMCA fucking hard. That is a streamer. But problem. there are plenty of radio stations that are like joke, like dialogue stuff yeah, with no music. That, that see for me personally, what made was is the eighties music, the actual eighties music that put it in there. That was part of it, and yeah, sure. So like, and like, if they even come back at all, if they even renew the license, the music license agreement, because I think a couple, maybe was it a couple years ago where they're like one GTA game, they had to all the music changed because they lost the license to them. I think that happened. Correct me if I'm wrong. It'd probably be five. No, it wasn't. It wasn't five because I think five had a. Because like five is relatively new, like you don't, they wouldn't have a license expire. I mean, like it's two thousand thirteen. No, it wasn't five. I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was. Maybe it had to have been, <laughs> had to have been four. Um, Probably four. But like, there was a GTA game that like had the music, and now if you boot it up now, the music is different uh, than what it was. So that's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. That's, that's the only negative thing I can think of for this is like, good luck streaming this game if you don't want to get DMCA if they keep the original music uh, on it. I mean, I imagine they'd have to rework those deals, just like uh, the Tony Hawk remakes did. Right, but you also can't stream that thing on Twitch, because you're going to get hit right. with DMCA. But they have a streamer mode that kills the audio. That's also boring as fuck, and that's a that's a, that's a Twitch problem, and we're not, I don't want to get into much, but that's that's such a... I mean, like, I think it, it replaces it with, like, royalty-free, just, like, instrumental, kind of, you know, punk-style music, right. but whatever. Not, not the, the same, point. though, especially if you played those original games. Mm-hmm. Um... All right, let's move on to possibly the most interesting and weird PS5 story. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a story of Abandoned. Um, I love been, I love everything about what's happening. I'm going to let you take the lead on game. this because you I've been kind of following it, and I kind of know what's going on, but I want you to quickly break down what the fuck's going on and what are we doing here. Okay. Hold on, this is too wide for how I have it set up. Uh-oh. It's too thick. Okay, I can't I can't fix it apparently. It's fine, whatever. Um so yeah, there is a supposed game called Abandoned, uh, from supposed studio Blue Box Games. Um Blue Box is a studio, allegedly, that has notoriously been known to do PR stunts for games that don't exist, uh, where they have, like, they, they talk about a bunch of development issues, delayed demos, uh, trailers that use mostly, like, stock assets, things like that. Um, and then they will just disappear and come back a year or two later with a new project 
that also never comes out. Um, they have one credit on Steam that I forget the name of the game. It's on here somewhere. Um, but it's garbage and was actually taken on. It was like released in early access, was terrible, and was taken on by a different studio to finish it because uh, they they didn't have the resources to complete it or whatever and moved on to something else. Um, so yeah, with all of that in mind, this, this abandoned game was shown off uh, earlier this spring, I think, at a PlayStation... Um, PlayStation event and was a very kind of vague trailer of like a guy wandering a creepy forest in first person with a gun. Um, It looked pretty, but like there really wasn't any information about it. It was like, um, it looked all kind of like placeholder stuff. I guess people found like the, the tree model they were using and like the uh, unreal store or whatever unity store. I forget which, um, and then just a title screen that said abandoned. Um, oh my God. Why is this? Why is everything on this story so big? Uh, it's a big story. So at some point I'm trying to kind of like skim all of these details cause I just gave them to you. Um, at, at some point they started to promote this new supposed abandoned game with some really weird, like, even more vague uh, tweets about, like, like, kind of what the game was evoking and stuff, and using very specific imagery related to, like, Kojima, Silent Hill, Metal Gear Solid, like, those kinds of things. And a lot of people started speculating that uh, Blue Box was a fake studio created by Kojima to for his next project. Um, because I guess he's been known to make fake studios before. Yeah. So people looked into it, and, like, there is some decent evidence toward what might... Like, that might be true, but there's also a lot that basically... Like, more solid evidence disproving it. Um, but it really feels like they're trying to lean into this, because it's... They're not denouncing it or anything. They're kind of doing like, yeah, I'm not Kojima, wink, wink, um, to kind of like fuel the fire and stuff. And they notoriously, they posted like a blurry picture of a character with an eye patch um, that everyone was thinking was like the, you know, Metal Gear guy. Snake. Yeah. Um, and they're like, no, it's... It's it's actually our villain character. It's an entirely original character, blah, blah, blah. But, like, it clearly looked like just a blurred picture of that. Um, and so now, most recently, um, this story doesn't actually cover that. It's more of a, a deep dive into their past. But um, they were supposed to be releasing, like, a interactive app for the PS5. Uh, to help promote their new game. And it's where they would drop, like, future trailers, playable demos, that kind of thing. 
And people were super excited for this because they keep thinking that it's like actually Kojima's next project and related to Silent Hill and all this stuff. So they've been hyping it up in their own heads, just trying to, because no one really knows what Abandoned is. So this app is released, but it doesn't work. Um, they say that it needs an update and because there was like, they noticed some last minute graphical glitches and needed to do like a, a patch before they could, you know, put the new footage on the app for people to see. Um, and the whole reason you have to get this app is so you can actually see everything they do in game, like in the, in the in game engine. Um, because it's better than watching it like on YouTube or whatever. So three days later, the patch still hasn't launched. Um, they're making all these excuses like we're, we're not sure what's happening. We're still trying. We're, we're doing our best. Give it time. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and finally, they, they announced it dropped. They deleted the tweets from the past few days about all the troubles they were having and just said patch is live. It's a five gigabyte patch for this app that just loads up with a four second video clip, which was the same thing they had posted on Twitter three days before when they were saying the, the, the patch was, uh, was delayed. They're like, in the meantime, here's this tease of, of what we're working on. And it was the same clip as what was in the app. Wow. Um, and it's, it's nothing. It's literally like, it's someone's feet walking across a wooden floor into a doorway, but it's all focused like down on the feet. Why this four seconds is five gigabytes. But the, the, the best part is all these people talking about like, uh, really this patch was for a five gigabyte gif. Like (laughs) the same thing that they put on Twitter three days ago. Um, and so now they've been apologizing for that, saying that the, um, they weren't clear on what, what they were releasing, that the glitch actually had to do with the trailer they're about to release very soon. Um, and that the four second video, which is what they're putting on there in the meantime, while they continue to figure out, What's wrong with their trailer they need to drop? And at this point, it all just feels like they are, you know, trying to, like, stay relevant because they're not actually working on anything and they're not actually real um, because of their track record in the past of, you know, not delivering anything and then disappearing. But I think today I saw that they did an interview um, basically, like, complaining to people, like, which... Mental health is a very big deal and don't take it lightly. But in like this specific case, I'm just explaining what they were saying. Um, they said that they were all super depressed and like the whole team is afraid to show their faces because everyone thinks they're fake and they're, they're tired of being called scams and they just want people to believe in the thing they're making and like all this. It's just like, it's so, <sighs> It's so contradictory to the stuff they're actually delivering. And given the track record in the past, it's hard to know what to believe. So, like, I feel bad, you know, if, if, if this is actually, like, affecting their mental state, like, they're having a hard time coping 
with you know all the backlash and everything to what they're doing, I feel bad. But also, they're not doing themselves any favors with the way that they are marketing themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's just this really weird thing. Like it's been it's been a delight to follow, honestly, because the comments are wild and every update is just dumber and dumber. But I don't actually know what's happening. Because we haven't gotten anything about this game since it was like announced during that PlayStation thing. But there's been regular updates from Blue Box saying that it's coming along well and like they're giving like insider info that's just text. Like no you know, no concept art, no um development pictures, nothing like that. And then the only other thing we've seen was this four second clip of a guy walking, which took them three days to release. And now there's this basically empty app that has like placeholder, like, you know, borders for uh, like interactive trailer, gameplay demo, etc. Um, and they said they were trying to get the trailer ready for Gamescom, but it's probably not going to. And it's just. Uh, I, I don't I don't even know at this point, like. Abandoned feels like an apt title for this game that's probably going to get dropped and they're going to disappear again. <laughs> Most likely. But yeah, this is, this I will is... I will keep following this because I find it fascinating, like the train wreck of it all. Um, but... It feels like a what happened episode in the making. Exactly. I feel like, honestly, he would probably do an episode like on Blue Box history in general. Because they have, like I said, they have a credit or two under their name, but for the most part, it is abandoned projects that, like, there's barely information on, or, like, there's a few mobile titles that were put on the store and then removed. So, like, some people, you know, have, like, info from them from when they were listed, and they were, like, half-finished trash that was just thrown on the market, um... And then when they were basically caught for putting that on the store, they took it down. And then now they're hyping this PS5 exclusive game. Like, that seems, I don't know, it seems super shady. It really does. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, a character reveal. Um, it's, it's actually, feel, I, feel, I thought this was announced a while ago, but Samurai Showdown uh, is a game. Uh, and it yes. finally, in a, a couple a while ago, they announced that they were the one of the DLC characters for this recent season would be a Guilty Gear character, and everybody kind of suspected on who the character was. And I watched the trailer this morning. Um, you know, so it reminded me that it reminded me. Oh shit, Samurai Shodan exists. Um, and of course, you hear a little bit. You get a little bit of montage of uh, Samurai Shodan of all the characters. And then you see that very all too familiar logo, that voice. First of all, yeah, uh, nice that they use the "Here Comes a Daredevil" from Guilty Gear, and there she is for the I think for the first time ever in like official 3D is Biken from Guilty Gear, um, and she looks yeah. actually really really fucking cool. Um, if there's gonna be one character they're gonna pull into Guilty Gear from uh, to Samurai Showdown. Bike is going to be interesting that it says she's from Guilty Gear XR Rev 2, not the current game, Guilty Gear Strive, because she is not in Guilty Gear Strive. No, she is not. Not uh, yet, anyway. 
Yeah, and she looks really cool. Um, I haven't played too much biking, um, but it looks like they stay true to a lot of of what I remember from uh, Guilty Gear. Um, but yeah. you know, playing in the Samurai Showdown engine, um, she has the trap floor, which is really really cool. Uh, she has her arm cannon, which I remember that from Axon Core. Yeah, she can she combo has, she off the uh, off the platform and um, and shoot you mid air. She looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the thing about her in Guilty Gear, she's one of the harder characters to use, but once you get her playstyle down, she's really fucking fun. Like, I want to uh, learn her when I get back into Rev 2 one of these days, and I'll definitely give Samurai Showdown a shot when she drops. Her teddies do not seem practical for combat. It's it's a fake character. Um, and uh, that's, just that's her thing, though. They would get in the way. Just... Um... Hey man, she makes it work. She makes it work. She beats your ass regardless. Um, so yeah, she looks cool, and uh, they didn't really show her super other than charging it. Um, I can't remember the main character for uh, for um, Hamaru. Uh, Hamaru. Hamaru. Yeah, who's also he's also in Soul Calibur. Um, yep. Six Degrees of Fighting characters. That would be a fun game to play. Um, uh, if you remember Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. So yeah, Bacon's officially yes. in uh, Samurai Showdown. Uh, interesting enough, at the end, I, I found it... Like, this game is on Xbox, but they only promoted for Nintendo Switch and PS4. Um, so I, I just found that interesting. Probably because this game is not playable. Nobody has an Xbox in Japan, and this is a Japan-centric trailer. So there you go. Yes. Alright, here's the here's the one I wanted to get up, I wanted to. Get up to. Uh, Justin, the next bit of news, we'll just cover it next week since we're running long. Um, the Resident Evil stuff. Uh, it's a bit more light. Didn't you want to talk about Boyfriend Dungeon? Yeah, that's the next piece of news. The one after this one. So we're gonna. This is the last piece of news right here. Oh, you're not doing the Metal Gear thing. Got it. <clears throat> the Resident Evil thing. No, there's a Metal Gear thing. I deleted that. That was. I don't know. I, I didn't mean to post that there. Um, gotcha. Okay. Okay. It is so funny though. This is uh this is the final news story, and this is concerning Boyfriend Dungeon. This is what I was alluding to earlier. Um. Uh. So uh, basically, Boyfriend Dungeon is getting an update. But not to its gameplay. In response to players' concerns that the current content warning doesn't go far enough, uh, Kit Fox Games, who's the developers uh, behind the game, tweeted on Saturday that it would update the message next week. The other says that right now the warning uh, inadequately describes the events of stalking and emotional manipulation that exists in the story. Uh, and, of course, it goes over Boyfriend Dungeon, and I kind of went over that pretty much. Um, so, pretty much, there. It's a, as somebody who's played it and has experienced this character... Um, there is a, uh, like his boyfriend is about a dating character and you meet a guy who's basically, he's like a, uh, um, uh, a smith and he kind of talks about how like he's, like he meets you, he one of the first, he thinks he's one or two of the first characters you meet, very debonair, very dashing, comments you, um, and all that such and all that such and that, uh, and so basically he, very early on, he becomes very invasive, flirting with you. And and like kind of approaching you, being very openly flirtatious, and you can choose to like not uh, for to the uh, like adv- advance anything. Where it kind of turns is uh, your your cousin your cousin Jesse basically sets you up with another friend at a cat cafe. Funny enough, and um, you get a text message to him right after the day ends, whether it's good or bad, and it basically says didn't work out, huh? It's like what are you talking about? Uh, the girl you were just talking to. It's a shame it didn't work out. So he was looking at you, and the character you're actually talking to refers like, I just thought I saw something looking at us. I guess it was my imagination. So he's actively, I don't know how far it Mm. goes, 
with it, but it's it's pretty much there. And so people are upset that it, the fact that this kind of content is in this game that they consider like you know obviously stalking is a very real serious thing. And um, there have been many takes on the internet over the since it happened. That's the only reason why I'm actually actively playing it. I probably wouldn't have played it more had I not heard about this controversy because uh, I wanted to play it, but it's just one of those things where like my head doesn't work right, so I didn't play. I didn't play it immediately, but. I'll say this is that like this is coming. This is like a this is a, there's a fine line between exploitative and like a person telling a story from their heart. And I think this leans more towards like I haven't played too much of it, but just going with everybody else kind of says who's had more experience with this game than I have. That I feel like some people had false expectations about this game that it was just going to be like a oh wholesome game, no worries, but like. I think it's. I think the trauma of like having a stalker um, come on to you constantly, whether you and you tell him to fuck off. Uh, by the way, he leaves a rose at your at your apartment too. He'll he'll do he does stuff like that. So again, I haven't gotten too far with it, but he's not a weapon. He's just a normal guy. Uh, in fact, he's kind of racist towards weapons in a bit. Uh, so I find I personally side with the people who think that like this. You I don't think you like. It's very. I, I gotta word this very carefully. Um, I feel like it shouldn't be there. I, I think the the people who wrote this game were telling it from are telling it from a very personal experience in their life, and that just because one person or a group of people, because we don't know, social media has skewed has skewed so many things on like how what the big what the numbers actually are in terms of how many people are actually mad or upset up something. Um. Not every single game is meant to be like your comfort game and to give you protection and safety. Um, the game does. I don't know if the update went live today because I only started playing today, but it does warn you <clears throat> about it going in. And I feel like it's trying to tell you about the perils of dating and the different people you'll meet, the manipulation and how it happens. And I think it's. I think that has merit. At the same time, I personally believe for you to try to... Uh, some people are going so far as to say that they want this character removed. And uh, this is going to come from the voice actor who goes by the handle at Octopimp. I'm going to read his quote on Twitter uh, right now. Hey, I can't believe I have to address this, but please don't send me hate messages about my character in Boyfriend Dungeon. I know he sucks, but I'm just his voice actor. Please be respectful. Saying it reflects poorly on me to play a character like this. It's so confusing. There's bad people out there. I don't support what these kinds of people are doing, saying, thinking at all. It's just acting, y'all. And I feel like that's my problem with this is if you have a problem, like, with the content being in there, that's one thing. And, like, I'll just say maybe don't play the game then. And that sucks if you're looking forward to it. But not every game is tailor-made to you. No game developer can, can account for every single person's trauma. And it is not the game developer's responsibility to protect your trauma because they don't know you. They don't owe you anything. They are trying to tell, especially the Disney side, they're trying to tell their story. But the, to me, I'm more, I'm more annoyed at the people who are actively trying to get this character removed. Which is basically removing the plot, removing the conflict from the game. Because that's where the conflict comes from so far. Is this creeper who's constantly hitting on you. And you can either choose to like fall, like accept his advances or not. Just like some people fall in love with the manipulator. I feel like they're missing the point and those people don't understand the, the, the divide between 
reality and video game. And I feel like that line is being blurred for them. Maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe they've always been like this. That's my problem with this. When you try to change media because you don't like it, because of how it makes you feel, because of your personal experiences, I, I feel like that's not... I feel like um, like the game isn't the game warns you about it initially, right? It it doesn't doesn't not hide it. It tells you this is going to be a thing. Be prepared, and to have something like that removed, you're just basically telling the developer, "Fuck your vision." My entitlement first. Yeah, that I mean that's exactly it. Like, it's not. It's it's not about the, you know, you can be sensitive to people's trauma and things like that. Um, that's why there's content warnings there. But to say you're not allowed to have that content in the game because it'll trigger me and that's not fair is overstepping right. as a player. Because you can say, I guess I won't play this game because it would trigger me totally fine right but once you get into that element of controlling the game's content itself we stop being able to make games freely or because there's other games out there that right or like there's other games out there that use like game content to you know explain or tackle or uh get into the mindset of someone different like there's uh Celeste. What's, what's the one called my my dragon cancer or something it, it was a, a game a few years ago i forget exactly what it was called but it was a it. fairly short like narrative adventure that was basically a, like kind of making a, a sort of a fantasy about, world yeah dealing with the dealing about with the going through cancer those steps yeah, yeah. And it's hard stuff to play or even, you know, to watch if you're seeing someone play it on Twitch or whatever. But it's powerful. It's powerful because people can, like, share in those experiences and understand that narrative. And it can be beautiful to them if they've been through that and can, you know, relate to what's happened there. So we need to have these heavy topics in our games so that, you know... People don't feel alone. Like, right. oh, this is this is a real issue. Like, if it hurts you, if it's a you know, if it triggers you, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's important to have that discussion about the trigger rather than blocking it out and saying this shouldn't exist because you reality doesn't like stop existing if you ignore it. Right. Yeah, I, I I feel like if I say anything more, I'll because I don't think get in we're trouble. not saying because like if this because if this was exploitative, I think you would hear a lot more people be like, "This is exploitative. This is just yeah. making." Fun. It's not though. It's being an honest approach on because I again having played it, he is very charming and you, like it's not victim blaming at all either because you can see why somebody would like I, I didn't, but like. After like with the way he, I mean, he approaches the rose. Some people might find that nice, and you know, like, oh, why were you watching me? And like, that's you know, some people might fall for that without realizing the dangers of it all. But again, the biggest issue is that people want to just make it there. You know, there's like they, they 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 like the the illusion that they've been lied to is what I've seen that the developers when they didn't lie anything about it at all. You made this no. assumption about this that this, this game's gonna be. 
like you know like if you want a comfort game there's thousands of games that are can be comfort games that don't have this kind of deep level meaning um you know like hey worst case like if, if it has it and you just start playing you bought it on steam steam refund exists like you don't need to go to the extremes of like i want this changed remotely because once you change it then you're just ruining the experience for everybody else who is accepting maybe not i would say enjoying um if you're enjoying it you might you might want to go see help but um <laughs> like at least being part of that experience makes the game much more interesting for them to play um yeah you know i mean i i think really like it comes down to if someone hasn't experienced that in their life ever would they rather like experience it in this game and be able to like you know recognize it in the real life because they had that experience in game and know like the the signs or would they rather be blindsided in real life and not have the context like I think it's important to be able to see those experiences in a safe environment. <laughs> so you know to avoid them. Right. I, I think, honestly, this could be helpful. Like, in uh, my Mithrandir on Twitter was kind of basically saying that, like, I, she, I think I kind of quoting her tweet a little bit. Basically, like, this is this could be helpful for somebody who's younger and maybe mm-hmm. it's not as the signs aren't as obvious to those of us who have been around the block a couple of times. And could be like they can spot it, you know, easier and help somebody, you know. Like, yeah. Um, in fact, I know she says she said she was doing a playthrough of it just to go towards him to see what happens. Like you know, there's that interesting. What happens if you do go uh, accept his advances versus like me? I'm like, get the fuck away from me, please. Yeah, it's educational, right? Um, Without like, the consequence of you know ruining your own life. Right. Yeah. Um, like I said, like, cause at the, at this point then like, you know, um, games like, uh, the, the Ubisoft world war one game, right. Uh, I can't remember the, the Valiant war, I think it's called. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but they made it like that, that, that game kind of falls in the same category. It doesn't have to be like, you know, sexual advances and stuff like that, but like just heavy topics in general, because like then it feels like you shouldn't talk about it at all because experience of it. Because Lord knows I don't want to talk about death in video games at all. But like I'm not gonna say remove death from games period or media at all because that's just something I, I don't want to personally deal with. It's just, you just ignore it for now until I mean you may not get over ever get over that trauma. But you shouldn't you shouldn't your your specific unfortunate circumstances should not impact. How other people view media and content, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so I touch grass. Like seriously, if you're more more so to the people who are yelling at the voice actor, like like it, it's it's like I feel like there's another line between the people who want the game changed and the people who are making death threats. You're making death threats. Go the fuck outside with the mask. And touch grass, please, because you are out of touch with reality. Like, that's scary. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. We're going to do a transition, and we're going to make this our final topic of the night. And this is our uh, – we were going to do it last week, but I wanted Justin to be included, so we didn't. So here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the topic of the Charge Shot Show. It is time for us to discuss what would be – our dream crossover game. 
Justin, because I don't think you prepared. What is your dream crossover game? You never think I'm prepared. Are you? It's starting to offend. No, but it's starting to offend me. Okay. <laughs> um, no, that was a bit. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so it's funny because we were just talking uh, last night when playing Smash about how awesome Fortune Street was, um, and Tyler didn't realize that they had like made more of those after. Um, yeah, because I'm a filthy American that doesn't know the Japanese market for Fortune Street games. Yeah, well, I just kind of researched it recently. But my original thought was going to be, like, a new Fortune Street. But I feel like that's not really, like, true to the, you know, the concept here, because that's a crossover that already exists. Like, there was Mario and Dragon Quest, and then there was Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. Um, Fortune Street, like, as a concept existed before... The crossover stuff, even, like, just with the, I think, Dragon Quest characters on a board. Um, so, I'm not going to do that, but I still wanted to give it a shout-out, because I just, I want more Fortune Street. Like, I, I want them to localize the last one, even, because Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest sounds awesome together. Um, but what I really want <laughs> is still something that I have seen um, rumored as like the the project that Retro was working on before they they took on Prime Four again, um, and it was a it was a Metroid and Star Fox crossover game. Um. So, or Metroid and Captain Falcon. F-Zero? Wait, F Zero? Yeah, F Zero. It might have been Metroid and F Zero. It was, but. Point is, I want... No, I, yeah, that's right. Actually, Sorry, yeah. Metroid and F-Zero is what I meant. Because um, I was thinking Bounty Hunter, and Star Fox isn't really a bounty hunter. Or Fox isn't really a bounty hunter. Um, so, I like the idea of... Because F-Zero, like, as a franchise, is dead. And Captain Falcon, as a character, has never really been playable, like, outside of his vehicle um, in a race context. But, like, he has a full moveset in Smash Bros. So I'd really like to see that take of uh, ship and, like, foot missions. Um, And if you could get some sections with, like, Samus actually in her gunship... uh, doing some stuff there too kind of like you know prime three kind of dabbled in that where you could like control the ship to do stuff for you but you weren't like actively in it flying it around um i'd like to see you actually being able to fly it and stuff um and then maybe have like a like a hub planet or whatever where like you could do some recreational stuff um like do you know races um so that kind of introduces like the f-zero element as kind of a side game, like like how Ratchet and Clank did the hoverboard races, um, but like Samus would get on on the action too, with like a motorcycle or something. I don't know, just spitballing nah, she would just at that fly point. Just flying the gunship. <laughs> She'd have to have something smaller, but I'm just spitballing at that point. A smaller version of the gunship because it would basically be combining Captain Falcon into the Metroid style of like you know planet exploration, solving bounties, that kind of thing. Um, and then also introducing Samus into the racing side of things, but like 
you have kind of split missions. So like some of them would be race focused missions. Others would be exploration focused. Others would be like combat. And, um, you would play either character based on, um, what, like what the mission criteria are. It'd be really um, cool to see uh, Samus and Captain Falcon competing on who can get their bounty first. Right. Because there's always, like, the, you know, explosion countdown thing in a Metroid game. So what if it was, like, a countdown to victory or whatever? And so, like, you had to race against the clock to you beat Captain that Falcon. Up, but they actually they actually have a final mission like that in F-Zero GX, where uh, you basically have to get out of an exploding corridor in, like, a short amount of time. Oh, nice. But in a in a vehicle? Yes. Okay. I never played that one. I don't know. It's really good from what I saw. But yeah, I I just like I remember seeing that uh the, you know, creatives behind F0 like don't think the franchise is dead. They just don't know what to do with it basically, which I mean, just make a new one. Like it's fine. You're not going to encroach on Mario Kart or anything. It's a different style of racer, but No. Only one racer. <laughs> one racer only. Uh, Why do you think we don't have Diddy I mean, Kong? the fact that they... One shall fall. The fact that they can't keep the Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi series going at the same time, I guess, is proof that they just don't understand having multiple genre titles together. But anyway, I think that's something that would, like, you know, rejuvenate the F-Zero franchise. Um... Most tying it to like a different series. Granted, you know, Metroid's not huge either, but huge than F Zero. Yeah, right. And I think Dread is going to you know rejuvenate that as well. Um, but I would see it more like in the Prime continuity, or just be a completely unrelated spinoff. Like maybe uh, Samus like flies into a wormhole and pops out in like the F Zero universe, that kind of thing. Um, Why not just have them be in the same universe? Space is that big. They could be, but I th- like if if it's going to be in continuity, I feel like it kind of needs to be a little separate. Most games aren't even in continuity with themselves. Let's be real. Metroid does a really good job with its continuity, yeah, except for Overman. Can be like the side thing. Like it's it, Samus isn't here about it because she's on the far reaches of space. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I just think those would play well together. They're both space adventurers. They're both bounty hunters. They're both, like, we don't know a lot about, like, what they do, you know, outside of their own games. So it'd be kind of cool to, like, flesh out that world of, like, you know, your free time. Like, you're just bounty, like, regular bounty hunting. It could be cool. Yeah. All right, Tyler. Uh, so my idea, uh, it's kind of similar to what Justin was throwing out there, but instead of bounty hunters, it'll be ninjas crossing over. So my dream crossover would be Ninja Gaiden Cross Strider. Um, it would basically, um, the two games are pretty similar to each other. Uh, well, the original games anyway. Uh, 2D side-scrolling and ninja games where, uh, you use a sword to slash up enemies and, uh, platform all... All, all stuff. Uh, it'd be really cool to see the uh, the characters Strider Hiryu and uh, Ryu Hayabusa uh, either team up or fight each other. Like, just having their uh, different movesets uh, clashing each other, maybe inheriting each other's moves. Um, and if they have to bring in 3D, then uh, I'd be okay with that too, just to see a 3D Strider game. I would love to see that. Uh... 
So yeah, uh, I just want to see another Strider game is what I'm saying. I mean, the one from 2013 was pretty solid, but that's pretty much all that we've gotten uh, aside from that. And uh, it would probably uh, be cool to get me into a Ninja Gaiden if that were to happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but it would be cool to see. All right, so mine is very simple, but a twist. Capcom presents Sega. And you may be thinking, oh, oh, just Capcom versus Marvel vs. Capcom, but just Sega characters. No, I would do it the reverse. So instead of it being a 3v3 versus game, it would be Sega versus Capcom done in the virtual fighter style. That'd be sick. So you would have all, like, all those characters, like, you would all, like, it would be like a smorgasbord of Capcom stages brought in 3D, and they would just, the square ring and classic virtual fighter sound effects. Just, just do that. Just do that. Um, and you would have, like, I would bring, you know, all the classic Capcom characters, I would pick Mega Man X, because fuck the original Mega Man, he's boring. Zero, yeah. Morgan, Chun-Li, Ryu, um, fuck, I need deeper Capcom characters. Dante. Dante, um, yeah, Don, Dimension Fighting, yeah, uh, Arthur, uh, Dimension Fight, all those characters fighting like they're in Virtual Fighter 2, or like, or just Virtual Fighter in general, um, I think. Would I they should, be like all polygony too? Yes! They were, I would, if I had the budget and the time, I would have like clean, like, like how it looks in Virtual Fighter Five, but then I would have. So the what box. you're saying is you want Fighters Mega Mix, but with Capcom. Characters. Yes, I want Fighters Mega Mix, but with Capcom Fighters. Yes, yes, I would happily take the reverse Capcom versus Sega, where it's your classic two v two, three v three, but I want the reverse Sega versus Capcom, where it's a three D fighter and it's just insanity. I would include the wall busting mechanic from Fighting Vipers, where you can literally punch a person off of, through a cage off a skyscraper. Best feeling ever. Uh, just incorporate all the Sega Sega tricks from those games. Just m- put some Capcom music in there. And you've got yourself a... Maybe make 5% of the people might enjoy it. But I would enjoy this. All that matters. So yes, come on. Give it to me in some form or fashion. Give me Sega versus Capcom. Hey man, I'd enjoy it too. So that's 66% at least in our group. Yes. And we would force Justin to come along to get his ass beat. Because that is the way. <laughs> I mean, the characters would be enough. I know nothing about Virtua Fighter, but I'd play for the characters. Yeah. Okay. Virtua yeah. Fighter's pretty easy to learn. Hard to master, though. As long so. as Zero is playable, I'm in. Like, that's all it takes. All right. Nice. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for tonight's show. We went a little longer than expected. Um, but I think, considering last week's show was undercooked, uh, this week's show kind of <laughs> makes up for that. Justin, plug your stuff, please. You can find me if you look for Zero Score on Twitter, YouTube, or Twitch. Like I said, me and Ben are continuing our uh, Resident Evil 6 shenanigans on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. On both of our Twitch channels. I set up a kind of a multi-stream to, to share out for it, which I forgot to share last week. Um, and I am working on editing my video on Metroid Other M. Uh, so... That's about an hour of just hate. <laughs> not not really. I mean, I actually say some somewhat positive things about the game too, but um, 
It's very long. This is the point. like a load of barnacle. Uh, Tyler. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Hey It's That Ty. Check the pinned tweet to take you to my YouTube channel, the home of Tire Shoes Reviews, where I review old-ass fighting games. I am also in the process of editing the next episode, which will be on Tekken Tag Tournament. Uh, the opposite of Other M, because it is nothing but high praise. Hmm. <laughs> All right, and you can find me at twitter.com slash MarvelousSiggy for all things related to the Marvelous one. And, of course, I stream live four times a well, I'm a madman four times a week at twitch.tv slash Iggy2814. Shout out to you, Songbirds. You know who you are. Um, I broke down on stream this past week, but I will, you come to the stream and you'll see why. Uh, I stream Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at uh, three of those days at 6 p.m. Central Time. Thursday being 7 p.m. Central Time with Justin Currently, we're playing uh, this coming episode. By the time this is out, it'll it'll be the uh, the this will be called the next coming stream. This coming Sunday, August the I'm not stalling twenty second. Me and Nero the Hero will be playing fighting each other in a first to ten in Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. He's already told Ooh. me he's practicing, which means I guess I should I should probably practice. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be playing a first to ten on Sunday. It's gonna be hype. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm looking forward to it too. Because he's, he's the, gonna low kick your. Ass. He's the only. I, I, I love my charge shop group friends. Besides Tyler, he's the only one who can, right. I can I can actually have to not tie my hand behind my back and unleash my ultra instinct. Sorry, I'm showing off. I don't wow. get to show off in fighting games too much. And here I wow. can. Uh, so look forward to that. Of course, Tuesdays we're still continuing Sonic Adventure. And after we're done with Sonic Adventure, we're streaming the War for Cybertron series because I'm just in the mood to play fucking Transformers. Um, and then, of course, Wednesday is RPG night. Grandia we're making strong way through as we're getting close to the romantic side of the game. Uh, all right, think and of course Thursdays with zero score with Justin with some re six shenanigans. I will probably wait. Stop. Does does Justin find love in Grandia? You're gonna have to find. You have to watch to find out. You're gonna have to watch to find out. Um, I okay. don't know if I probably will not be streaming once Justin and I are done with re six, but that's a while away. So let's not worry about that right now. Either way, that's gonna do it for the end. Of course, yeah, because you still gotta watch me and Chris play Four Swords Adventures after that. Of course. Of course I will be there. I'm always <laughs> yeah. there, buddy. And um, I know. Of course, go to chartshot.com for all uh, Chartshot content, including the Wrestling Watch Launchers are back with me and Thomas. Atomic Shot that I did with Tyler. Atomic Shot that these two fucking jokers did. Uh, Cinema it's Shot that, that, that Tyler and I did. And of course, the show that you're listening to right now, the Chartshot Gamecast, which you can catch live every Monday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv. zero score. So if you like listening to it recorded, you can join us live and have some festivity fun. Alright, we're going to get out of here. We're running late. I'm very tired. Until next time, guys, stay charged. Bye.